Preparations for a night on the town. The killer eased his car in behind the empty cottage in such a way that it was hidden from anyone using the road. Although not as secluded as the quarry he did not dare go back again now that the police knew that he'd used it. In retrospect burning things there had been a little bit short-sighted. The cottage did have advantages over the quarry as well. It would be possible to spend a few hours here in relative comfort if he needed a quiet refuge. The killer was enjoying himself. The attacks on his victims had given him such a high the greatest being the murder of Gregory although Elizabeth Reynolds's fear had come a close second. He was annoyed that he'd failed to kill Courtney and had been driven off by a dog. Next time he'd be prepared for that. Not only had his murder gone well but his cleanup was progressing nicely, very soon there would be no copies of Gregory's recent work available anywhere. He was lucky as well, a mere chance led him to discover that Roger Clark had three of the paintings in Lyme Regis on a day when his wife expected he would be going away for a few days. There was more than enough time to drive to Lyme and recover the pictures and if necessary, here he shivered with pleasure, to close some more knowing eyes. The killer checked behind the cottage's tumble-down shed moving some brush aside, the remaining five jerry cans of petrol from his original raid on the estate stores were still where he'd hidden them. He picked up two of them and placed them carefully in the back of his car. Unfortunately, he needed some more equipment for his outing to Lyme, but the estate stores would provide. He set off along the footpath, his backpack and stick making him indistinguishable, at a distance, from any other hiker. If you appeared to be someone who fitted into a scene you would be viewed in abstract and not detail and people would soon forget they'd ever seen you. The estate had sighted its works unit sensitively, so it was nicely screened from view by one of the old barns on the home farm. The agricultural buildings surrounded the old yard with the open-sided barn on one side home to various tractors and farm machinery. Along the other long side was another open-fronted building where the estate stored more machinery and its four Land Rovers when they weren't being used by the estate workers or tenants. The short sides held a workshop and several stores. The killer approached one store and having unlocked it took out a large pressurized garden spray that the estate used to spray herbicides along the edges of paths. He also selected a prying bar and a pair of bolt cutters just to be on the safe side, these went straight into his pack. Locking the shed door, he started towards the back entrance to the yard when he heard a vehicle on the front drive. Quickly he ducked into the barn and hid himself behind the combine harvester. A Land Rover driven by Mark Bulmer swept into the yard and came to a halt near the diesel tank. The estate manager alighted and proceeded to fill his vehicle with fuel. The killer smiled to himself, a minute earlier and he would have been caught in the open. He knew he would have been able to talk his way out of any difficulty, but he would have had to change his plans to avoid suspicion. Having refueled his Land Rover Mark Bulmer walked over to one of the equipment sheds and letting himself in emerged a minute later with a large petrol-fueled strimmer. The killer allowed himself a superior smile, it was a Sunday afternoon, and the estate manager was still working. It was almost as if his only pleasure was in his slavish devotion to his work. The killer stiffened as having put the strimmer in his vehicle the estate manager walked over to the row of old pigsties some yards behind the diesel tank and separated from them by an earthen bank. These old sties formed the estate's flammable and harmful substances stores, so positioned that a fire there would not affect the main yard. Cautiously the murderer made his way over to the barn's back door and carefully opened it before slipping through. He was in the process of locking it again when he heard the estate manager hurrying back into the yard. Silently he opened the door a crack so he could see what was happening. Mark Bulmer reached into the cab and picked up his mobile phone, pulling his wallet out of his pocket he consulted a card then dialed a number. Hello, this is Mark Bulmer, Chidiak Whitchurch's estate manager, is that D.S. Linton? The estate manager listened for a couple of seconds. Detective Sergeant, I'm at the main estate yard and I've just had reason to check the flammable liquid store. 
I'm afraid to say that there are six two-gallon cans of petrol missing from the stores. Yes, I'm sure they are gone, any legitimate user would have not only recorded their use in the record book but would have put the cans back in the rack, on their sides to indicate they were empty. The estate manager listened for a while before replying. I'll wait here for you. I'm worried that our killer will try to burn down the gallery or perhaps he'll have a go at John or Elizabeth. The killer eased the door shut, locked it then crept away, taking a circuitous route back to the footpath he wanted. Burn down the gallery? What an absolutely splendid notion. A family reunion? I was half asleep, when the main door opened, and someone entered the gallery. Hi, I'm Catherine Briars, a bright confident voice announced. I'm looking for my cousin John. I looked up with interest and saw a tall, athletic woman in her late twenties standing just inside the gallery. I stood up and waved while saying loudly, Kate. What a pleasant surprise. Whatever are you doing here? With a loose and easy stride, she came over to me and having kissed me on the cheek gave me a good hug which for the sake of veracity I returned. She released me and answered my question her voice pitched perfectly so that the few people in the gallery could all make out her answer. I've got two weeks holiday and I came down from London to see mum. We heard that you had been injured and probably had concussion. I thought it would be a good idea to come over and look after you for a few days. It's a great opportunity for us to catch up on all the family gossip. How is my aunt? Mum's doing very well although she does want to know all the gossip about you. Nobody in the family really knows anything about you except that you've joined some artist commune in a Dorset town that nobody's ever heard of. She paused and winked at me her head turned so that only I could see, I do hope that your fellow artists are all free spirits and that there are plenty of immoral happenings to delight the family rumor market. I'll introduce you to some of them, but I warn you they'll probably want to paint you. If that happens you might just become one of our local scandals. I laughed as her infectious good humor got to me. Then remembering that we were establishing her background asked, how are things at your hospital? Absolutely manic. You know how it is. There are never enough nurses, but they can always squeeze in another tier of management. With that I took her over to the desk and made a show of introducing her to Elizabeth, which gave us another opportunity to establish Kate's credentials. I knew that I would be in for some good-natured teasing the next time I went into the fisherman's arms. In one day, I had gone from a lonely bachelor to a man who had two good-looking women staying in his house. I found that I was looking forward to a little bit of notoriety. The rest of the afternoon went very well with an unexpectedly large number of the locals calling into the gallery. Their motivation was, I thought, more curiosity about my cousin than a sudden overwhelming interest in the local art scene. One visitor, however, shattered our calm somewhat. Just as we were starting to tidy up for the day a large man entered the gallery and looked around crossly. Spotting me he strode towards me and seeing his expression I got to my feet standing with my right leg forward of my left with my body slightly turned. You Courtney? He snapped. I am and how can I help you? I replied trying for a friendly tone of voice. You can hand over my brother's stuff, you louse. I've heard that you are trying to profit from him at my expense. Sir, you have me at a disadvantage. I resorted to formality in an attempt to defuse the situation, if you tell me who you are and who your brother is we can resolve your obvious misconception. As if you don't know. The stranger raised his hand and grabbed for my collar. I shifted my way back onto my left leg and slightly bent my knees. I brought my right hand up and knocked his hand away. If you can't converse in a civilized manner, I will have to ask you to leave the gallery right now. If you don't go my assistant will summon the police. Now what are you talking about? You call the police? That's so ironic. He still sounded angry but a change in his body language suggested that he wasn't about to take a swing at me. 
Behind him I saw Elizabeth standing with the phone ready in her hand while Kate carefully closed the distance between herself and our visitor. I shot a look at her and she stopped moving. Please can you tell me what you are talking about? I asked again, pointing towards one of the seats, I honestly haven't got a clue. The visitor glared at me again. Don't pretend you don't know, but I am Richard Fennell. He probably saw the blankness in my eyes because he continued slightly less aggressively. Gregory Adams was my half-brother and I've come for all his stuff. I'm sorry I can't help you, I said sitting down again and gesturing again towards another chair. Grudgingly he sat down, tensely on the edge of his seat. I found his body. However, only piece of his property that I have is his dog, Henry, and I've only taken him in until we could find Gregory's next of kin. I don't care about a damn dog. You've got his paintings and I'm told are publishing a book of his work. I had electronic copies of his paintings so I could prepare a book of his work. A book he asked me to write for him, any profits that arise from the book will of course go to his estate. Well hand it all over to me right now. There's a problem there, I responded carefully. First of all, my computer has been stolen, second, I'm not even sure you are his half-brother. Someone has been going to great efforts to destroy all of Gregory's work. For all I know you could be the killer trying a very audacious method of getting anything you've missed. I was told that you would be slippery, but it won't work. You think you are so clever. Our guest leapt to his feet. I'm going to report this to the police. Should that fail I'll see a solicitor. With that he stomped across the gallery and slammed out of the door. We looked at each other for a few moments before Kate took out her mobile phone and reported the encounter to D.S. Linton. That's very interesting don't you think? Elizabeth observed. He kept saying that he'd heard that you were trying to cheat him. I wonder who's been telling tales? A good question, I agreed. Hopefully everything will become clear. As the women finished tidying up, I walked across the yard to the estate office. Mark Bulmer looked up as I entered, rose and walked over to the counter. John, I was going to pop over and see you in a bit. Something came up today that really worries me. What? I asked knowing that Mark was not a man to panic unnecessarily. I had reason to check out the estate's flammable liquid store today and notice that 12 gallons of petrol have been taken. Now even allowing that some must have been used on that bonfire at the quarry there's a good amount unaccounted for. More than enough, I worry, for our killer to try burning the gallery or your houses. He reached under the counter and produced two blocks of wood and some wedges. Put the block of wood behind your letter flap and hammer the wedges around it. It should stop anyone pouring petrol through the letterbox and setting fire to your hallway. Any other way they might attempt would cause enough noise to wake your dog and give you time to escape. I'll come round tomorrow and fix up some type of bolt that will do the same job more conveniently. Have one block for yourself and give the other to Elizabeth. Thank you, I said genuinely touched. Elizabeth is staying with me for a few days. Neither of us wanted to be alone. That's good, Mark smiled approvingly. I'll fix the block into her door myself if no one objects. I don't think that will be a problem. There was something I needed to ask you. Mark looked inquiringly. I was wondering if you could arrange for me to have another spare key to the cottage as I have a cousin staying for a few days. What happened to your existing spare key? I gave it to Elizabeth. I replied slightly defensively. Mark roared with laughter, not before time John. I was starting to wonder if you were totally dense about women. I have been a bit stupid, I conceded. I think we've got everything sorted now. I'm so glad. The two of you will make a delightful couple. As far as I'm concerned it couldn't happen to two nicer people. Laughing delightedly Mark crossed to the key safe and removed a key that he gave to me. Don't you need it, just in case?
I inquired. You'd be surprised how often estate tenants lose their keys, often at totally antisocial or difficult times so I make it a policy to keep two extra keys available for all our properties in the key safe. I'll get a new one cut for your property so when your cousin goes home keep her key as your new spare. Thank you this makes things a lot easier. Mark walked round the counter and joined me in the outer office. I might as well walk over with you and check that the gallery's locked up. It will give me a chance to ask Elizabeth about her door and meet your cousin. With that he led the way out of the office, and we walked back across the yard. Elizabeth and Kate were waiting outside the gallery, so I made the introductions and handed Kate the new key. About five minutes later having told Elizabeth about his fears and having greeted Kate. Mark roguishly hugged the two women and walked back to the estate office where his dog, Ben, was patiently waiting for him. As we left the courtyard a point suddenly occurred to me. We need to buy some food, when I did my shopping, it never occurred to me that I would have two guests. Don't worry about a thing, Kate assured me. When I came down, I went into the local supermarket and did some shopping. I needed to officially find out where you lived and worked, and I knew your local shopkeepers would be able to help me. There is a bag of food in the car, which I've left outside your house. I put it in a cool bag to keep it fresh. That's good, I hate to offer people baked beans on toast. You wouldn't have been able to, we ate them and the bread this morning. Elizabeth laughed and then took my hand. What would you normally do now? Kate asked, it might be more natural if we stuck to your usual routine. Let's walk along the beach and then up the cliff path to home. It's what I always do on good evenings, and it gives the dogs a good run. The walk home was fun, and Kate cheerfully took over the ball launching duties and was soon one of Honey's special friends. A faint sea mist combined with the early evening sun lit the beach with a diffused glow. I paused and took a photograph of the bay and another of Elizabeth knowing that I would soon have to express my delight in a painting. When we arrived home, I saw that there was a slightly battered Volvo estate parked over my drive with Frodo and Kathkin curled up on the roof. I was about to complain about some people's parking when I remembered that Kate had left her car outside my house. I wasn't surprised to see a note under the windscreen wiper. Turning suddenly, I looked at the Mays house just in time to see Mrs. Mays hatchet face disappearing behind her net curtains. The note was, as I had expected, a condemnation of Kate's antisocial parking. I started to tell her about my neighbors when she told me that Detective Sergeant Linton had already briefed her on the subject. I opened the front door and let us into the house. While the two women sorted out my spare beds, I called up to them to find out what they wanted to drink and then busied myself making up some gin and tonics. I was sitting at the table when the two of them came into the room it was obvious from the laughter, I'd heard echoing from the spare rooms that they were getting along really well. From the surreptitious glance that Kate shot in my direction I gathered that I has been one of the subjects under discussion. Hearing my house filled with the sound of voices and laughter made me realize just how lonely I had become over the last few years. Passing them their drinks I joined in the conversation. All right Kate, I said standing up. What did you buy? If we are going to eat at a reasonable hour, I'd better get cooking. Oh no you don't. Kate stood up and then gently pushed me back into my chair. I'm meant to be looking after you so that means I'm doing the cooking. If you get any curious visitors, it would be the most natural thing in the world and will reinforce in their minds that we're family. I protested so she gave me a bowl and a knife and told me to prepare some runner beans. After this token resistance I gave up and watched her cook, while she expertly got us to tell her everything we had experienced in our own words. When we got bogged down, she skillfully asked the right question to get the narrative back on track. It was obvious that Kate was not only a good cook but enjoyed cooking. Although the meal was a simple garlic lemon chicken she added details, 
such as placing a large unwaxed lemon in the body cavity and preparing a bacon-wrapped stuffing cake as a separate dish. Touches that an old girlfriend would have dismissed as chefy nonsense. Isn't that a lot of bacon for one roast meal? I inquired. Why do you use so much? The bacon on the chicken keeps it moist and transfers some of the smoked flavor into the meat. The bacon round the stuffing cake contracts during the cooking process and squeezes out the excess fat. She tossed a small piece of bacon rind to honey. If you find you have too much, I know a Labrador who will help. Her choice of vegetables were roast potatoes, a baked vegetable dish consisting of onions, carrots and single bulb garlic. The beans were gently steamed over a tomato and onion gravy. We had progressed to a bottle of chili and white wine when the doorbell rang and I went to the door to find Mrs. James, one of my elderly neighbors, asking if I needed any help. I invited her in, and she spent some time interrogating Kate and Elizabeth. By the time she left I knew that Kate was well established as my cousin and following Elizabeth's ordeal the old lady agreed that it was only natural that she stayed with friends. The food was nearly ready when I let my neighbor out and returned to the kitchen. How did you know that Mrs. James would come round? I asked intrigued. Simple psychology. If she hadn't come tonight, it would have been tomorrow. She is essentially quite a lonely woman whose major social contacts are with her neighbors. You have been living alone and I expect that you often stop and talk to her when you are taking your dog for a walk. Suddenly you come home with not one but two women, one of them a total stranger. You have been attacked in your own home and she's worried about you. You will probably find your other charming neighbors are spreading malicious gossip about your excessive drinking and how you consort with loose women. Mrs. James have come round to see if you are alright. Having spoken to us her mind is set at rest. She can see that you and Elizabeth are now more than just colleagues but with me in the house, to act as a chaperone, there is nothing for her to worry about. Tomorrow she will tell everyone all about me. Kate served the meal and we sat round the table talking long after we had finished the food. I couldn't recall quite when I'd enjoyed a meal more. Dash. After the humans had retired for the night Tara summoned the animals for a late night conference. When they had gathered, she jumped onto the kitchen table and looked seriously at her companions. We all know how poor human senses are, especially when they are asleep, and it is our responsibility to look after them while they rest. I propose that we do it this way. There are three cats so we will each take a person. Frodo will take his queen, I'll have our Tom and Kathkin can have the third human. Henry will sleep at the head of the stairs where he can protect everyone. At any time, I want one cat awake and prowling. I'll take the first watch. While each cat is on duty, Honey will replace him or her on the relevant bed so that none of the humans are left alone. The other animals sat and listened carefully. As an alpha queen, Tara's word was definitely law. That an experience in how fast she was in backing up her opinion when challenged led to an attitude of quiet respect from the other cats. The dogs wanting a quiet life found that it was easier to do what the cat said rather than challenging her. As Honey privately reflected Tara was right, after all cats were better suited to sneaking about in the darkness than noble dogs. Copyright 2014 Robert M. War, all original rights reserved.